Is this the year you want to grow your business? Do you want to expand your team? Build a new office? Hey, it's Tug, and I want to tell you about First Liberty Building and Loan. Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you're dealing with a new person? You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding. Reach out and spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. FirstLibertyGA.com. By the way, if you're a young banker and you want to work with a team that's faith-friendly with a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan at FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver Show, he's climbed in for Chuck today. Glad you could be hanging out with us. Busy day, a lot going on in college football right now. Coming up in about a half an hour, we're going to head to Baton Rouge where Brian Kelly is completely revamping his defensive staff, blowing the whole thing up. More details on that to come. Right now, though, we head to Gainesville, where Florida did not play in a bowl game, and that is not something they're used to. Even though last year wasn't exactly a delightful experience uh, catching an L in national full attention from Oregon State and trying to play without key guys from the team, including your quarterback. It wasn't fun, but it still beats not having a bowl game, and, and that's where Florida is right now, two years into the Billy Napier experience, and you got more dudes in the last week making their way out the door. So he said, let's let's check in, see what's going on in Gainesville. Graham Hall covers it all for Swamp 247. He joins us now here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Graham, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to be here. Uh, let's start with the latest kids to hit the portal. Just in, in the last week, you've had Scooby Williams, a linebacker who's a 10-game starter, Jaden Hill, who's a, a multi-year starter, and then a guy in Micah Mascua who – I know probably didn't live up to what people thought he could be coming over from Baylor, but was still a starter at guard. So three more starters on their way out. What should somebody from the outside make of this? Well, I think that those are three guys right there that Florida was, you know, one of them in Mizuka who I thought was going to enter the NFL draft. It seemed that it was in the cards that this was a one-year thing in Gainesville for him. Now for him to enter the transfer portal, I think that came back to the feedback process that he received from the NFL and he realized that one more year at the collegiate level was going to be beneficial to him, but the door was pretty much closed at him returning to Gainesville. Now, Scooby Williams and Jaden Hill, as for Hill, I thought Hill would go to the NFL draft. He had a really productive year for the Gators, started 11 games at a very difficult position, that star nickelback position. I thought he would test the NFL draft waters. He was healthy for the first time in a while this season. Scooby Williams, another guy with a lot of potential. You know, there were NFL scouts in Gainesville at the end of March last year who were watching him work out around pro day and were saying, who is this guy? He has a chance to be really great. But just a guy coming off his third year, a lot of potential. He ends up going somewhere else, probably someone you would have liked to get back. No matter how you spin it, three pieces of their team, three starters from last year that now have a chance to maybe land elsewhere in the SEC. You see Hill and Williams are going to take visits to Texas A&M, Mazuka could get some interest from, say, a program like Arkansas, potentially, who knows where he ends up going. For Florida, it definitely leaves them even younger than they already were last season, unless they go out and do 
some work in the transfer portal. You know, you made a point about the bowl game. No one wants to miss out on a bowl game, but look at the calendar for recruiting, the transfer portal, how jam-packed it is right now. If you're a team that's six and six, even seven and five, there is a way that you could see this as a positive where you have more opportunities to evaluate the portal, recruit at a high level, try and keep that class together. You're not out preparing for a bowl game. You really can devote all your resources to that talent acquisition process that is so vital on a year-to-year basis and teams retooling their roster and making sure that they can be competitive for the next season. For Florida, they have absolutely had a plenty of time compared to last season to do that. Now it remains to be seen whether they're going to be able to replace these guys, guys who started last year for the team. They're snaps that you don't want to lose, but how they respond is going to be critical. No matter how you spin it, like I said, that's three guys that had starting experience and, and you don't really want to lose starting experience from your roster unless you have pieces identified who can come in who aren't true freshmen as promising as they may be and it remains to be seen whether the Gators are going to be able to replace those guys yeah I mean the reality of the situation is you look at the final five games for Florida and everybody agreed when they saw the schedules come out holy crap that is really really brutal so it's not that the first seven are easy out of conference alone. You've got Miami and UCF now as a, a big 12 team. So you know, two more power five conference teams in non-conference plus SEC games early. But if there is anywhere to theoretically make a little hay on the schedule, it's the first seven games. That's not the time you want to be missing dudes with experience and trying to work new guys in, I would think. No, definitely not. And I mean, you look at Florida's schedule for next season, I think that a lot of people agree that it is the most difficult schedule in the nation. 11 Power 5 games next season. UCF, which is getting a good quarterback in K.J. Jefferson. Miami, who knows what they're going to do at quarterback right now. FSU, of course, they get D.J. Ugalele from Oregon State. You know, I mean, you look around at the competition that Florida's going to face. And then, you know, Texas, Texas A&M. Obviously, Georgia, that's a bunch of really, really good teams, LSU, and that makes it very, very difficult. I don't want to say the season's already lost, but can you imagine any scenario where the Gators are going to be able to add enough talent to the roster, barring a massive improvement in development or a huge impact from the incoming freshmen, when the Gators are going to be able to actually have a winning record in those games? I think a lot of people are already... Maybe that's part of the negativity around the Billy Napier regime is they look at the schedule, they look at the roster, and they wonder how can this thing actually see tangible improvement in 2024. And that's a very valid question. It's a very valid concern, I think, for a lot of Florida fans because they certainly have their work cut out for them. Obviously, you change the strength program, you change the nutrition program, you bring in really highly talented guys you know, at, at multiple positions from Miles Graham to DJ Lagway, who many people consider to be the future at the quarterback position for the Florida Gators. But is it going to be enough for 2024 as that seat gets a little bit warmer for Billy Napier coming off of a 5-7 and seven season? I don't know if that's going to be enough. It certainly looks like they're trending in the right direction. When you recruit at a high level, you know, remember the Gators had a number three overall class in the nation before those, those losses to end the season, five straight losses. I mean, that, I think, bodes well for his future here. But we know the coaching carousel here, the turnover that you see. Is he going to get to year four if Florida somehow you know, goes five and seven, um, maybe even worse with this gauntlet that they have to face? I don't know. Um, but it remains to be seen here whether the Gators are going to be able to 
improve upon last season just because of that schedule and what they've already lost with 19 guys heading to the portal. Graham Hall with us here on the Chuck Oliver Show from Swamp 24-7. Looking at what's going on in Gainesville, uh, my question, Graham, is this. I mean, look, I, again, I'm a, I'm a UF alum, and while I don't root actively for their football team, I've got plenty of people in my life that are friends that do. Um, yeah, they, they're already out. I mean, they're, they're, they weren't sold to begin with, and they're out on the guy. We know that there's been a lot of issues raised with Florida and name, image, and likeness, who's in charge, how effective is it, et cetera. Is that fan base, even if Billy Napier is, is targeting the right guys and, and doing the things that would theoretically help him, in the era we're operating under right now where the big wallet wins when it comes to trying to acquire especially portal talent, does he have the resources to go win battles with other SEC programs right now if that's what it comes to? That's a great question, and I think that the answer looks like that it doesn't appear to be the case right now for Florida. You look at what Ole Miss has done. You look at what Texas, Texas A&M are able to do, you know, two teams in the SEC next year. That looks like they have a healthier spot when it comes to NIL, and I think what a lot of people may miss about NIL is you think, you know, you get 3,000, 4,000 people to chip in 10 bucks. That's going to make a difference. You know, no offense to anyone out there. I'm not saying you shouldn't give to NIL, but it comes down to a lot of, these millionaires, these big money boosters, where those resources are coming from. From what I understand, the Gators have less of them than a lot of these other programs around the nation. I mean, they can only do so much in creating video messages saying, give to Florida Victorious, support NIL at UF. And if the, the program is in a place where they're, you know, going five and seven and people are already questioning the coach, I think they're a little less willing to open up their wallet for NIL. It's kind of a double-edged sword here. If you don't open up your wallet for NIL, the coach is definitely not going to last and get the players that you want him to get. Um, you know, that's a very tough situation for the Gators. They have to find a way to maybe evaluate some under-the-radar guys that aren't the, the guys that everyone is throwing six figures at that they can come in and, you know, outplay those projections. And that's certainly possible. You look at what FSU has done in recent years. They were able to identify players who maybe weren't the most highly sought after. Obviously, Jared Verse was a critical addition from them from an FCS program. You have to do that and hit on those guys at a high rate, even from group of five schools, if your NIL is not in a place where you can just compete for the top names on the market. And that's what I think Florida is going to have to hope that they can do this year. You know, you look at Eli Drinkwitz getting that contract extension, getting to year four, making some changes to his staff. There is absolutely an argument to be made that you got to give a guy more than three years, especially if they're coming off a program where things were a little bit in disarray, the recruiting wasn't where it should be. I think that that really is a closer comparison for the Gators right now. Hopefully seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, if Billy Napier gets a year four, and then you can start seeing those tangible improvements. But like you just said, what is the patience level of the Florida fan base right now, especially when you're seeing Georgia, FSU, you name it, Tennessee, even LSU, of course, some of your direct rivals are in a healthier place than you right now. You often can think like, oh, we got to blow it up and go get a guy like this so we can get to that level in year two, year three. I hate to break it to people, but that may not be the reality in Gainesville. They may have to wait it out to year four with Billy Napier before you really can see whether he is the guy. And, you know, I get a lot of criticism and hate for saying, oh, how could you say Billy Napier should get all the way through year three? I'm just trying to speak to the reality of the situation here. We may not know yet if Billy Napier is the guy or not because of the factors around him right now. Well, I'll say this for Billy Napier. The dude is not excessively lucky. And on top of everything else, the fact that a Florida alum just made Arizona 
a much better team than anybody remotely thought they would be. They're, they're over-under for win total. Wasn't even to get him to a bowl, and he got 10 wins out of him. The fact that you've got Jed Fish as that possible shiny object with a direct tie to the school looming out there does not help matters any either. I think that's totally fair. I think that, you know, they love to say the Gator Nation is everywhere, so I think every single year you can say, oh, there's someone from Florida alum who's having some great success elsewhere. Maybe we should give them a chance. And I I understand that argument, absolutely, you know, but the grass isn't always greener. I think that you look at the history of coaches that have come through Florida over the last decade, it's not just Billy Napier that has seen stall out in year three. Guys like Jim McElwain recruited well, won 10, nine games during a season, got to the SEC championship, and it still didn't work out. Maybe it's a bigger picture thing than just who is the head coach in charge. And I know that sounds like a, I'm criticizing the athletic department. I'm just speaking to the reality of the difficult schedule around you, who you're recruiting up against, where the health of the other programs are around you. That can make things extremely difficult. Not saying that Arizona and programs like that don't have issues where rivals are competing against them and recruiting against them and stealing players away from them that they would like to get or think that they're going to get. But that's just where Florida is at right now. When you're trying to compete and recruit and you're at 500 or worse, it's going to be extremely difficult to be able to make that, like I said, tangible improvements. And that kind of is the you know stuck-in-the-mud type situation that the Gators are in right now. Last couple of minutes here with Graham Hall against Swamp 247 is the outlet. Uh, Graham, one thing that Napier did, he, he quickly removed two defensive staffers and then replace them but in the meantime people are saying hey special teams hello special teams open bleeding sore disaster for you over and over and over Uh, what are you doing about special teams and oh yeah by the way i'm not sure i love you as a play caller are any more moves coming or is he going to really just stand on no i've got this when it comes to those two things i think there absolutely is a possibility that the gators continue to make some changes to their coaching staff structure i think you've seen Going back to even Billy Napier's time at Louisiana, you know, he had a tight ends coach who was also a special teams coordinator, and they were one of the best special team units in the nation. That guy is now at Illinois. You can absolutely have an on-field position coach who also has the title of special teams coordinator. We've seen it here before with Greg Knox. And obviously, I understand the importance of special teams. And when you're when you get a small margin of error, special teams can be under the microscope a little bit. And I think that that is absolutely fair. But I made I'm kind of of the belief that maybe Florida thinks if they correct the other things around the team, that special teams won't be as glaring of a need. You look at punt returns, kick returns. Obviously, they can do a better job with communication in in many instances and getting the appropriate amount of guys on the field. That that can't be argued with whatsoever in my mind. But I think that if you correct everything around the program, that people are going to stop harping on special teams so much. It's just been the last two years. Florida has had such a small margin of error that one or two mistakes on special teams can be glaring, glaring issues. And obviously, you look at their sample size. I mean, your special teams plays are on the field for so much less time than your offense and defense that one mistake, people can think that you need to make wholesale changes. And I just don't know if Billy Napier buys into that narrative, that belief right now. Obviously, we'll see here in the coming months. But remember, last year, Florida had to make staff changes in February when they lost some assistance. They brought in Austin Armstrong in February, right before spring camp. Billy Gonzalez didn't come back to the program until right during spring camp. So certainly I can't say that the book is closed when it comes to making staff changes. But when it comes to having a special teams coordinator, I'm not convinced 
that that is a move he's going to make, just like I'm not convinced that you're going to see him hire a true offensive coordinator, that he's going to give up play-calling duties, which may not be what a lot of Florida fans want to hear. Oh, I can assure you, it's definitely not what they want to hear. Now, again, he's got to stay with what he believes, man. Go down swinging with what you believe in, but if you're trying to win people over to your side, at least showing that some of their biggest concerns you believe might have a point in addressing them is one way to try to buy yourself some time. But if he thinks he's right, man, he's got to stick to his guns. We'll see what he does. Greb Hall does a great job on Florida for Swamp 24-7. Thanks for making time for us here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Always my pleasure. Y'all take care up there. All right, so there you go. There's the check-in down in Gainesville. There's one game that didn't get played. A lot of games didn't get played one particular year. But, man, it turns out one game that didn't get played that might have changed everything. What are we talking about? I'll explain. Coming up here on the Chuck Oliver Show. The king of college football, no matter where you go, with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. Chuck Oliver Show, Heath Klein in for Chuck today, hanging out with you guys and talking some CFB. We're going to head to Baton Rouge in about 10 minutes. Whole defensive staff getting blown out down there. Where do you go from here? And is Kelly maybe showing some signs of feeling some pressure? That defense was just disastrously bad, but these are guys who have a decent rep for coaching. So, yikes. I mean, he, he must really be thinking, I got I to gotta take it down to brass tacks and start over. That's coming up in about 10 minutes, but... I want to touch here on one thing that didn't happen. This sounds like it was, was it Sherlock Holmes. I don't know if it's Sherlock Holmes or somebody. I remember there's some story where the clue is the dog that did not bark. Well, that's kind of what this is. If you're looking for a clue to solve part of what happened in college football, it's not the dog that didn't bark. It's the game that didn't happen. Take you back to 2020. Not a year a lot of us really want to relive if we can avoid it for a whole bunch of reasons. But one of the many was what happened, of course, to college football in 2020, where you had some programs try to play a relatively normal season, and you had Big Ten programs and Pac-12 programs say, oh, we're not going to play at all. And then they did try to play, but they tried to play too late. So they were only going to play like four games, six games, uh, all of that. And in the midst of all of it, of course, you're dealing with COVID, so you have no idea week in, week out who's going to have their players and and how effective, if at all, are those players going to be able to be. But what did not happen that year was that Ohio State and Michigan did not play. December 12th, Michigan was scheduled to play against Ohio State in Columbus. Remember, the two years before that, Michigan had come into the game with Ohio State with a lot of buildup, favored in fact, against Ohio State. And all of a sudden, the defense, the Don Brown coach defense that had been really effective against everybody else, pressure and play single coverage on receivers, Ohio State's receivers lit that defense on fire. Crossing routes, you name it. They could not cover Ohio State. Ohio State scored 62 on them one of those years. 62 on a defense that in an entire month had given up 62 to other teams. Ohio State lit them up. And then you get to this this thrown-together desperation season for Michigan, 
And they win their opener against Minnesota with Joe Milton at quarterback and proceed to then follow it up by losing four of their next five games. Two and four. That wound up being, that was Michigan's final record for the year. Two and four team. So now you're Jim Harbaugh and you're no longer the beloved son that's come back to town to coach the team, a Michigan man returning to coach Michigan. Now you're the dude who can't, he, he's, he can't get it done against Ohio State. Now he's got a losing record. The team looks terrible. And it looks like he's going to get destroyed by Ohio State. Destroyed. And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen officially because of COVID. But, and I'm going to bring in David Holloway on this, our, our resident Buckeye fan. Uh, David, I think it's safe to say the perception at the time was that Michigan was not exactly brokenhearted, that while COVID was real, no one's saying they did not have COVID. I think it's safe to say the perception was they were not exactly brokenhearted, that they could not make their way to Columbus that year to play the game. I'm still in the camp of they didn't really have a COVID problem on the team. I am very, I'm very much in favor of the fact that they were scared to play Ohio State because they knew they'd get curb stomped and it would break them mental, break their mentality and um, pretty much demoralize an already down team. But no, in all seriousness, though, I did have a buddy of mine at the time who is a Michigan fan. I was talking to him about this, and he said, "Yeah, Harbaugh's got to go." But they were saying they were already saying Harbaugh's got to get the f out because he's not doing he just can't get it done. So yeah, that that was a tough time for Michigan. There's no doubt. And if you look at what happened the next year, remember they brought Harbaugh back, but they cut his contract. They took his contract and they put clauses in there that said, if you win, you can get this money back, but we can't afford to pay you because remember contract had gotten to the point where they had to get an extension done. You you couldn't have Harbaugh going into his last year of his contract or anything like that. So the position was, we have to do a contract extension, but we are not going to, coming off a losing record, pay this guy the kind of money we're paying him for coming from the NFL as a guy who had taken a team to the Super Bowl, who is this super desirable coach. And the facts are, the program has gone backwards this year, so we're not going to give him a raise or even maintain the same level, especially with financial uncertainties after COVID. So he took a contract that allowed him to stay and not get fired. And, of course, since then, three straight playoff trips, and everybody at Michigan grateful that they held on to him. But there are also people at Michigan who will tell you that one of the reasons they think Harbaugh has been so willing to publicly flirt with the NFL each year for the last three years now is because of that contract. He's like, hey, you didn't, you didn't really believe in me when the chips were down, and so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go out of my way to, to show excessive public loyalty to you guys. You didn't show it to me. You get what you paid for or didn't pay for in my case. But if he'd lost that Ohio State game the way he could have lost that Ohio State game, do they do that deal? Do they keep him around? Not hard at all to imagine that the answer to that question could have been no. Not hard at all. Now more college. Is this the year you want to grow your business? Do you want to expand your team? Build a new office? Hey, it's Tug, and I want to tell you about First Liberty Building and Loan. Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you're dealing with a new person? 
You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding. Reach out and spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. FirstLibertyGA.com. By the way, if you're a young banker and you want to work with a team that's faith-friendly with a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan at FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. Football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. show he's flying in for chuck today and hopefully we'll have him back in the fold tomorrow voice wasn't cooperating this morning and so you roll with the punches as you need to Uh, i know he'll have some thoughts on this and hopefully we'll have some for you from baton rouge here coming up momentarily but uh, we have some uh, breaking news and we should again have someone joining us here in just one second but uh some breaking news out of baton rouge with lsu Uh, Brian Kelly announcing that defensive coordinator Matt House is out as well as assistant coaches Kerry Cooks, Robert Steeples, and uh, Jimmy Lindsay. And so basically a full cleaning of the house on the defensive side of the ball. It's no secret that that was the issue for that team this year, that they just absolutely could not defend anybody with reliability uh, so it's certainly not surprising that there might be some adjustments on the defensive side of the ball, but I don't know if the perception had been that it would be complete and comprehensive like this. And uh, for a guy who still had a pretty good year, that's a very aggressive move to make. Will Weathers covers it all for Tiger Rag Magazine. He joins us now here on the Chuck Oliver Show. And Will, I, I got to be honest, this I thought I'd ask you about the staff. I didn't think it'd be the lead. What's your reaction to what came down here just now? Well, I think it was uh, anticipated, maybe not as far-reaching beyond the defensive coordinator, but obviously uh, I would say Coach Kelly has been very consistent and has been very kind of methodical. You know, it was recruiting, it was transfer portal, uh, it was getting the team ready for the bowl game, and now, as he said uh, Monday, it's time to assess the staff, and he did. So um, I don't think it's, it's a surprise that it definitely included madhouse but that it you know it, it kind of a sweeping changes uh that included both the secondary coaches and the defensive line coach i'm curious does the root of all this is original sin the decision to use harold perkins the way they did against fsu that everybody said i don't get it and it never seemed to really add up as to why they did it i mean is, is that where things went wrong and they just never got things right yeah i think i would say the latter uh and i think the the the, phone, the your earlier question is more like I think that is part of the equation as to how it began and then it kind of like did you know what what made that look like a right decision you know or is that because you're trying to prepare for the NFL or are you trying to do what's in the best interest of LSU and obviously it, it was not uh, and then you know they just you know they've had a lot of you know share of of, of heartache in terms of you know their their leader their captain. Greg Brooks has, has a brain cancer. Uh, the defensive line coach was off the field as of as of August because we think it's you know uh, a stroke, 
and and then you know just all that they just had so many misses in the transfer portal at you know trying to shore up the cornerback position and it just it just progressively got worse but quite honestly as the season progressed what we thought was the strength just the line never you know they weren't bringing a lot of pressure and and creating havoc and getting quarterbacks off their mark and you know to me if if you're going to play good you know defense in the back the front guys have to be able to do their part and it never did it never really did so it it it's kind of you know you can point your fingers in a lot of different directions with this with the result will we got yeah, Jimmy Lindsay is who you're referring to that had the health issue. They had brought him over yes. from South Carolina and, and had a good rep, but obviously uh, a, a, an illness or, or some sort of physical crisis that has affected him. I, I was a little surprised that he got uh, listed as part of the group of guys getting the broom here. That seems pretty harsh. Uh, I if, did. Yeah, yeah that, I that, did too. That, that, that definitely got my attention. The, the thing I guess I, I wonder about is Matt House has obviously been a pretty successful coordinator before this. Is it just as simple as people looking at this team and saying, you had a quarterback who won the Heisman, you had an offense that scored so many points that you could win shootout games with Missouri, uh, win in a way that might not be feasible next year. You could have a good offense, but you might not have an offense producing like this, so you have to do something drastic. You can't say, well, we'll give House a year and a mulligan. We have to start fresh here. I think that's exactly right. I mean, he... He being Kelly wants to be elite, and they had an elite offense and, and very subpar defense, and quite honestly, a subpar you know special teams outside of the kickers. I'm talking about returns and creating field position. You know, those were just that's been two years of just kind of in neutral. So if they if another facet of the of the game has to improve, it's like you said, it's going to be defense because I think next year's offense while will be successful in its own right. It'll be a different way of going about things and maybe not being able to win the, the, the games you just described. You know, just being in a game like Miss, Ole Miss where it, it took 49 points and it still wasn't enough because the defense couldn't hold them. So I think you're, I think you're right. He, he just wants to be, and he, again, this is his definition of elite and the defense obviously was nowhere near that. Will Weathers is with us from Tiger Rag Magazine to get the breaking news in the case of LSU defensive coordinator Matt House and basically the whole defensive staff are out. So uh, will any feel for what he's looking for here? Is he looking for somebody with a certain kind of scheme? Is it more of a personality fit? What What is he looking for for this defense in your mind? Well, I'd have to look you know, at kind of tradition of what, what he's kind of because he's obviously, you know, way back when he was a defensive coordinator. So I'm not, I'm not sure if he's married to, you know, I think he likes four down uh, linemen. Uh, that's what it, they kind of evolved into uh, this year. They were three, there were three men last year, and they were started at three men. But it just wasn't, it just wasn't working. So I think somebody who probably is a, a four of a four three system, and uh, I think he likes to play press plus press man corner with the right talent in the back end. So, um, you know, Matt House was, was, you know, very highly thought of. And, 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 they, and I thought defensively, I thought one of their calling cards last year was how they adjusted at halftime. You know, they would always seem to get better as the game went along. And there were games like last year, you know, my 2022's Ole Miss game. You know, none of that took place this year. It's like, well, well that guy was pretty doggone smart enough to, to implement whatever it was last year that worked. And I don't know if it's just a, a you know, he didn't, 
and he didn't just lose, you know, uh, an array of, of knowledge on, on how to, to to coach it, but it just combination of implementation for what they were trying to get, or either how they got it, trying to get it across, or person, be personnel that got a couple of guys. I think people think of playing the NFL, and um, so I, I think it'll be a, a four. If he wants to continue that route, I think he likes four down linemen. So four three, uh, I think they've got the, the linebackers based on who's coming back and who they've recruited to to maybe make and make that work. If they've just got to show up the secondary, and then because they've gotten some help with the transfer portal a little bit and then through recruiting. Will Weathers with us for a couple more minutes here from Tiger Rag Magazine on the Chuck Oliver Show. Uh, Will, they obviously did win their bowl game. They get to 10 wins, even though defensively, again, another rough day at the office made a, a pretty pedestrian Wisconsin offense look pretty good that day. But they got the job done. Uh, it was Garrett Nussmeyer's debut as the starting quarterback. He's obviously expected to be that next year as well. What were your takeaways from his showing? Well, I thought it was, um, you know, after the first, you know, like they, they, they punted uh, – on the on the first four series, they punted three times and then they turned it over on down. So, uh, obviously, not a great showing. Fourteen um, nothing. You know, this is not like in like Coach Kelly said. When you typically when you put him in, in in practice, he didn't have to start out down fourteen or, you know, but you know, they let him back. They tied it up at fourteen all. Tied it up at twenty eight all. And then the game the game winning drive was a ninety eight yard drive uh, that actually started out with an incomplete pass, but he had the the savvy. To to um, for not having ever been put in a position like that, he he was the leader of that offense, and they quite honestly did not run the ball that well. And of course, it's obviously not going to be from the quarterback position with him there. So it, it had to be how else can we get this ball, uh, move the ball? And he threw the ball. You know, he passed for almost 400 yards, and all three touchdowns were in the third in the second half. Excuse me, but the I think the 98 yard drive to go ahead shows uh, it was a really good feeling that, you know, we, we got the guy for, for 24. LSU always is going to have special skill talent and there's going to be some on its way out the door, like a neighbors. I'm, I'm curious when you look at this version of LSU, know what we know right now about the personnel, it's a 10 win team, but again, a 10 win team in a year where they were really flawed on one side of the ball. What's realistic knowing what you know about them right now, what you know about that schedule what is realistic for fans to have on their mind for what LSU is in 2024 at this moment? Well, they're going to have one of their most more entertaining home schedules uh, with UCLA, Alabama, and Oklahoma coming. Don't miss. Uh, so I, I would say not knowing the complexion of the defense and how that's going to hopefully take, you know, take shape and at least be average. You know, let's just say average for 24 would, would be an improvement. I would say – that I would say eight and four uh, until I can see marked improvement on def- on the defensive side because I think they've got enough back on offense. You know, the, the four of the five linemen, uh, some really good re- wide young receivers, and and, and Garrett kind of came coming over with the the, the bowl win under his belt. And then AJ AJ Swan is a transfer portal they, a quarterback they signed from Vanderbilt who will push him and be uh, I yield the, the backup I guess. But I think they're, they're an eight to nine win team right now and maybe you know pushing upwards if the defense is really you know better 
It'll be interesting, that's for sure. Again, a really aggressive move today and uh, curious to see where he goes. Again, there's there's a lot of guys out there that are respected names, even in the SEC, for example. Zach Arnett's a heck of a defensive coordinator that just got let go that hasn't found a landing spot. So he'll have plenty of choices with LSU's resources. Just going to be interesting to see schematically kind of where he thinks he wants to go. Will, appreciate you making the time for us today here on the Chuck Oliver Show. It's Will Weathers from Tiger Rag Magazine. Make sure you check him out. Thanks, man. Take care. There you go. A little bit of lowdown on a breaking news day there in Baton Rouge. All right. So with that, you've got movement there. You've got movement at another high profile school today as well. By the way, North Carolina is uh, getting rid of Gene Chizik as their defensive coordinator as well as making some other moves on that staff. People had wondered, was there a chance maybe Mac Brown didn't have the zip for another year? You're talking about a guy here who obviously has had multiple NFL quarterbacks in back-to-back years. He did get Max Johnson to come over from Texas A&M, so he he may know who his next starting quarterback is, but I'm not sure people view Max Johnson as being a Drake May-level talent, certainly, and not even really a Sam Howell-level talent. And so there were some people who wondered, would, would Mac Brown be willing to go outside his comfort zone here, get rid of somebody in Gene Chizik that he brought back to college football in the first place because of their shared ties? The answer is yes. Uh, Chizik is out at North Carolina, so that's another school. Looking for a defensive coordinator. Going to be a lot of movement here in the next week. you got the coaches convention going on. That's where you can do some subtle interviews, talk to some people. Maybe you haven't decided to make a move, but you would make a move if you knew that you could get this guy or that guy. That's the kind of thing that's going to be happening in the next week. So uh, big moves today in Chapel Hill and Baton Rouge, but there will be more where that came from. We put the wraps on this edition of the Chuck Oliver Show straight ahead. Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. In the end, somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. And either way, that should build character and that should that should help these guys in whatever they end up going and doing in life, that how to go about your business on a daily basis and put yourself in position to be successful, you got a chance in this life. And uh, hopefully they, they, they can walk out of this season knowing that. That is the voice of Steve Sarkeesian. Of course, that was after Texas lost the other night, uh, came right down to the wire, and now it'll be interesting. I- I'm mighty curious to see what happens next for them. It's believed that Quinn Ewers will be sticking around. That's not absolutely carved in stone that he won't go into the draft, but most draft guru types seem to feel like it would be the right choice for him for his future. And given that Ewers is not believed to be under huge financial stress there's some kids that feel like hey i gotta go i gotta get it started he is not believed to be one of those kind of players that feeling financial stress that would lead him to go earlier than necessary just because he wants to get money coming in uh so you you have a returning quarterback you have the best year as a head coach that sarkeesian has ever had by a mile but you also have the challenge of coming into the sec so you go from being a program that had no worse than one and one a best hand of cards in your conference to coming into the sec where you have good talent but you will have several programs that are perceived to have better talent than you and where you don't have any built-in institutional knowledge they don't have institutional knowledge on you either except for alabama who's obviously played you in the last couple of seasons but you don't have any built-up institutional knowledge they've got to find some specifically about you maybe You've got to find it on every team on your scheduling conference now. 
Uh, that That's going to be interesting to see where things go from there. That program has shown it can have moments of success. Even under Mac Brown, go back and look. It was the most successful era of Texas football, but it wasn't winning championships on a year-in, year-out basis. And I'm not talking about national championships. I'm talking about Big 12 championships. Go back and look at the number of years that they won. It's not what you think. Always has talent, always has resources financially to work with. Will they convert it into consistent production for the first time really in my lifetime? I mean, honestly, I the first time I remember really thinking about Texas football at all was uh, they were playing, it was 1983 season, and they were playing in the Cotton Bowl and lost, I think, like 10-9 to Georgia that year. And it, it was not a very impressive game, but they were at least in the conversation for maybe a championship if they could have won that, and it, it, it didn't work out for them. But since then, again, individual moments here or there, Heisman Trophy for Ricky Williams, uh, a national championship with Vince Young, individual moments here or there, but never consistency for what everybody believes that program's raw potential is. So can they build off of this? and really take another step forward next year. going to be fascinating to see. Hey, time for what matters to me today. That's presented by This Stuff Matters. And there's a couple of stories that kind of tie together. Part of what has been cool about this last week is that it was what we always have hoped for in college football. When it came to create a playoff, we hoped that we would get these great, memorable games. And what's funny is the overall bowls have deteriorated because of opt-outs, because of transfers and whatnot, You've seen a lot more bowls that have been hard to watch by percentage this past few years, it seems like, than in years before that. There always was the occasional time where the coaching staff had taken a new job or gotten fired and the team wasn't very interested and the other team is and it just turns into a rout. Yeah, there's always been a few of those in every given year. You can't have a sport where you take a month off between games and not know that maybe one program is going to show up more engaged than the other one for whatever reasons. Uh, Maybe it's just that the other guys spend a little too much time hanging out at the clubs. It can be a lot of things. But as the overall bowls have deteriorated and been pretty hard to watch in some cases, even good bowls traditionally, we got great semifinal action. And what we didn't get was a lot of talk about the scandals and off-field stuff that at times, even in season this year, were the big topic. That doesn't mean they've gone away. So two things. One, Connor Stallions was at the game. It's America. If you buy a ticket, you can go to a game. But Connor Stallions was there at the game, at the Rose Bowl. You had a Michigan player, former player, showing him on his uh, Instagram, like, oh, isn't this, isn't this cute? Connor Stallions is here. Ha, ha, ha. Eh, we're not done with that story yet. Not even close. There's still more to come from that. I'm just guessing that if it was up to Michigan, at minimum, they would have preferred if Connor Stallions was going to show up. Maybe wear the Western Michigan gear again. You know, go go incognito or something like that. Maybe do that. Or Central Michigan gear, I guess it was. Go incognito, man. Don't don't show up and let people know you're there. Uh, that probably isn't what they had in mind. The other part of it is a story that hasn't gotten a lot of attention yet, but it might. Catapult is a video and data analysis company, and it is used by lots of college football programs. You remember that, that conversation about that Saban and... Uh, according to Isaiah Bond had told the players they weren't allowed to use their individual iPads. They had to do things in groups and that that was a concern about some kind of possible, possible spying and whatnot. That's what attracted the attention to this. Yahoo Sports reports that Catapult has confirmed the NCAA and, quote, local authorities 
are investigating unauthorized access of footage. According to Yahoo Sports' Dan Wetzel, the investigation is not about Michigan, that that's not the school they're focused on, but about one other school at least, according to Yahoo Sports sources. Catapult also says that they, quote, did not find any security breach in our systems, but that doesn't mean there wasn't a security breach. Somebody could be using a password, for example, that if you type in your password, they will let you into a site. That doesn't mean you're supposed to have that password. So, again, just just something to file away. Who are these other school or schools? What is their story? What are they doing? If they are found to have accessed footage that they weren't supposed to, does the NCAA even have a structure for penalizing that? Your guess is as good as mine. It's the NCAA even when you tee it up for them in federal court with wiretaps and court testimony, they've shown they can botch things. Do they have any plan for dealing with unauthorized video access? And who are we talking about? It's just something to keep in the back of your mind. This stuff's not done anywhere close to it, in fact. That's what matters to me today, presented to you by This Stuff Matters, and you can check them out at thisstuffmatters.net. Last thing for today, um, just just something interesting The transfer portal is now closed in large part. There are a couple of exceptions, but in large part, the transfer portal is now closed for guys going in. You can still come out left and right. You don't have to make a decision under any kind of timetable, but you can't go back into the portal now if you're not already in there. Even if tomorrow you wake up and say, I'd like to change my mind and go transfer somewhere, you'd have to wait till April to do it. Yesterday, the word came down out of Columbia Pop Howard put his name into the transfer portal. Uh, Howard was a linebacker recruit for them out of the Jacksonville area, who Florida tried really hard to flip. And in a lot of ways, Howard, a four-star player, was kind of the cornerstone of that South Carolina recruiting class. He was really active in, in responding to people on social media and encouraging other guys to be a part of the class. Did not have the kind of big first year that I think some people thought he might for whatever reasons. But, man, that guy was supposed to be all Gamecock, all in, all the way. Uh, The fact that the last minute here jumps into the portal is really, really interesting. I'm not saying anybody did anything shady. I don't have any idea why and how it happened. But that's definitely a little bit of a head scratcher. It's one to keep an eye on. I'll be curious to see what comes out next with that storyline. And if you're Shane Beamer, that, that feels like a tough loss. We will see you tomorrow here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Thanks to David Holloway for producing. And thanks to you for listening. What are your plans for your business this year? Hey, it's Tug. Do you want to expand and grow? Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you got a new person to deal with? You have to start all over again? You don't have that with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they want to know you. Unlike big banks, they want to partner with you. The Frost family knows the patterns. They know the ebbs and flows. They know business. Get to know them at FirstLibertyGA.com. Building a building? Buying a building? Buying a franchise? Expanding? Reach out to them. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. You do that at FirstLibertyGA.com. And by the way, if you're a young banker and want to work with a team that is faith-friendly and has a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to them today. First Liberty Building and Loan. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com.